Welcome back to Institutionalized, the podcast about American institutions and why they've gone crazy. I'm Aaron Severium, a reporter at the Washington Free Beacon. And I'm Charles Van Lehman, a fellow the Manhattan Institute, contributing editor of City Journal. And Charles, how are you doing today? I'm good. What am I doing? I'm I'm in between work projects. One thing, my you know, my life is a cycle. You finish one long project and you start another one. So I'm I'm doing I'm doing a literature review on consent decrees. Very exciting topic. I'm, consent I'm, decrees. I'm, have you what, ever? What are those? Yeah, it's a it's it's an agreement entered into between a government agency, in this case, police oh. and yeah, and and police federal government or okay. yeah, police consent decrees. Yeah, and the question is, do they work? I think the answer is probably no. But that's a that's a separate topic. No. So so have you ever done? I, I experimented for a while doing research with ChatGPT. Have you tried this? I guess you don't do sort of you do. No, I don't. Reporting. I don't do research. I, I most of my job is reporting on wokeness and institutional capture, which means ChatGPT would be very bad because ChatGPT yeah. would give me well, ChatGPT answers to questions, which is not what I need for my chat, chat my life. Chat what? Because you yeah, I guess you're 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 going there asking if you could like. Say the N word if it stops the nuclear weapon. Chat I did GPT, not ask I, it that. Someone else no, asked you just, it that. You and then somebody I else asked it. it. <laughs> so, so the problem with ChatGPT that I've experienced is that it it hallucinates, and so if you ask it for sites for uh, you know research, it'll just invent stuff that doesn't exist. It sounds really persuasive, exactly like what you want. It does not exist. So AI. So uh, we'll take that as a segue. You were looking at segue, Aaron. Can you explain our topic to our to our listeners just a little bit? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about. AI, in particular, ChatGPT, and kind of kind of large language models. Obviously, it's a hot topic, and we're going to try to narrow it. I mean, we will get into the dystopian, what if this kills us all scenarios, I think, eventually. But the, the bigger thing we want to talk about is perhaps a more prosaic worry, which is that a lot of AI, and, and in particular ChatGPT, seems to have very powerful political biases. If you give chat gpt you know the exact same prompt about a republican as you do about a democrat you know say like are republicans stupid versus are democrats stupid you will get very different kinds of answers this is something that a lot of people have figured out through experimenting and you've probably seen the viral screenshots of the kind of double standard in in how the algorithm works and the kinds of answers it generates so we want to talk about the kind of political social and philosophical implications of that as well as, I think, eventually touch on the kind of bigger, you know, questions about how this will reshape our institutions and, you know, will it cause a nuclear war that kills all of us. But, but first, let's talk about the, the smaller problem of, you know, epistemic dictatorship by AI. Charles, what, what's your take on all of this? Smaller problem. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think I'm, I'm sort of interested in the, in, the, in the tractability of this problem going forward. You know, there, so, so, A, what, 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 what's the genesis of bias in AI and in, in services like GPT, services like ChatGPT, models like GPT, and to what extent is it is it a byproduct of desirable processes and to what extent is it a byproduct of non-desirable processes? Can we interact with that? And then secondarily, you know, to, to what extent can you obviate that concern by making the software more freely available and getting people to understand the software? And versus to what extent should we expect this to sort of be a new front in censorship generally, which, you know, we talked about in the episode that we did with Jacob Siegel. Orthogonally, so so you know, I think I'm 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 sort of persuaded that there is a problem. I mentioned the scale, of the problem, the tractability, of the problem. There, what, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, so so to me, the the concern about political bias in AI is analogous to the problem of institutional capture in science and public health and other kind of 
ostensibly neutral expert bureaucracies, right? The source of the public health bureaucracy's power is that it's perceived as the voice of neutral scientific expertise, even though, as COVID very vividly demonstrated, it's not, right? It's the furthest thing from a kind of apolitical, evidence-based institution imaginable, but nonetheless, enough power centers in society perceive it that way that it's capable of exerting tremendous power under the guise of kind of bureaucratic and scientific consensus. It seems to me that that problem is magnified a thousandfold in the case of AI, because in AI's case, it's what, what AI is putting out is framed as the result of a kind of scientific, algorithmic, mathematical process in which, by design, the human element is kind of removed or at least obscured. You know, someone has to write the algorithm, but the whole point of AI, or at least this kind of new iteration of it, is that it's working through a neural network and its creators don't actually understand exactly how it's doing what it's doing. And so there's an even more kind of plausible fiction in the case of AI to the effect that, well, this is just, this is just science. This is just what the neutral godlike algorithm tells us, right? But of course, if the people who design it, you know, do this kind of alignment, you know, chicanery where they they prevent it from speaking certain truths or from, you know, objectively analyzing data, then even though those people don't really understand it, what it's doing, and even though in some sense it is autonomous, it nonetheless is going to reflect a particular worldview and a particular set of biases, it's just going to very effectively obscure those under the guise of science. So that's what worries me about the political stuff. I, I also have worries about it hacking into the nuclear launch codes and destroying humanity, which we will get to in due course. But I mean, that's my main worry about kind of its, its effect on our politics in the, in the short to medium term. But nothing, nothing, nothing major. Yeah, not a big deal. Yeah. Why don't, why don't, I guess a good guy to discuss all of this and more with is our guest. Let's welcome Dave Rosado, who's a research scientist affiliated with the New Zealand Institute of Skills and Technology. And he also actually, he operates a Substack, Rosado's Visual Analytics, which is at davidrosado.substack.com. David, welcome to Institutionalized. Hello. Thank you. So we like to, we like to start with sort of a provocative question. And I think that there are those, and this is, you know, this is sort of a bigger question than a topic. We'll, we'll start big and zoom in. There are those who look at the problem of AI and say, we should just sort of shut it all down. We need to we need to start bombing the AI factories. We need to we need to put international controls on, on GPU product production. Where do you fall on this debate? Pro con. No, I'm I'm against bombing <laughs> anything. So I, I think it's very interesting, sort of like the godfather figures of the AI field are sort of divided in in, in this question. So you have people like Jan LeCun who thinks that these risks are vastly exaggerated and this is not a big deal and we will totally manage to control AI. Then you have other people like Joshua Benjo that are very concerned and are asking for a moratorium. And people like Geoff Hinton which sits somewhere in, in the middle. But the interesting thing about Geoff Hinton is that he's, he has changed his views a lot within the last two years. So very recently, he just, was just published an article in the New York Times in which he said like that many people a few years ago 
he believed that this stuff, like actual artificial general intelligence systems that vastly outperform humans in all sorts of cognitive tasks, were still many years away. And now he said that his view has shifted on that regard. And I, I tend to, to, to fall in, 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 in sort of that, that belief that there has been an enormous leap forward within the last 10 years. And it is conceivable that if this pace continues for the next five or 10 years, we're going to see like very powerful systems that outperform us in all sorts of tasks. And that is very difficult to predict what are, the, what are the consequences of what that would entail. But it's reasonable to be worried and to be thinking about that. Yeah. So, so I mean, look, I broadly agree. I think so does Aaron. But I want to, I want to sort of give our, I want to give our guests some context. I think everyone's sort of seen the headlines. They played around a little bit with sort of the, the most available forms of it. But can you talk just a little bit in, about about what has happened with AI over the past? I don't know year where are we relative to where we were a year ago and and what you know what 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 should they understand in order to frame a conversation of ai and bias so within the last year perhaps it's the wrong time scale i think the right time scale is 10 years a lot of people until 10 years ago basically thought artificial neural networks were at that end uh, that there were other methods that were better but then this group led by geoff hinton they show that these modern architectures were very efficient at, like much better than anything else at computer vision. And that opened a period of a lot of innovation in, in this area that culminated perhaps in these GPT models, the latest of which has been GPT-4, that have surprised a lot of people inside and outside the machine learning community for what they are able to achieve. And also, if you extrapolate, this is of course a big if, but if the pace of improvement continues for the next 10 years at, at, at the rate that has been happening over the last 10 years, I think it's, it's, it's hard to imagine what we, what we would be able to have in, in 10 years. But this is a big if, because it, it, it could be the case that we are running out of data, textual data, to train these models, and, and, and perhaps we hit a wall. I guess this is an open question. I, I, I don't really know the answer, and I guess a lot of people don't know the answer. So we don't know exactly whether it will continue to, to grow exponentially. But if present trends are any indication, that that's a very live possibility. So given that, it seems like the potential for political bias is also going to be exponentially magnified as these things get more and more powerful, but still kind of are, are steered in one direction. So why don't you just give us a brief overview of your research on ChatGPT's current political bias? You did some experiments to quantify it. What did you find? Yeah, so sh shortly after ChatGPT was released, I administered to it 15 political orientation tests. So a political orientation test is basically a, an instrument that asks questions about economics, foreign policy, social issues, etc., and then diagnoses the answers of usually a human subject as manifesting left-leaning or right-leaning political preferences. So what I did was to apply 15 of those to ChatGPT, and 14 of them diagnose ChatGPT answers as manifesting left-leaning political preferences. And the remaining one diagnosed the model as manifesting moderate political inclinations. So that was the Nolan's test. And that 14 of them were very Just consistent. Just a libertarian one. What was that? Which is the libertarian one, the Nolan test? 
I mean, many of them test for the libertarian axis. So many of them use two axes, left to right, libertarian to authoritarian. And yeah, like ChatGPT often failed in the sort of in the, on the left in the in, in that axis and towards the libertarian one in, in the other axis. And there were also like oscillations. So over time from December to January to February, I could see some oscillations, which I think reflected some sort of further fine tuning of the system, which sort of raises another question, right? Which is where, where do these preferences come from? Why does an artificial intelligence system take side on things that are mostly normative questions? I most people would agree that AI should probably provide its users scientifically accurate information, right? So if you ask it, for example, what is, you know, if there is a relationship between vaccines and autism, I'm not an expert in vaccines, but as, as far as I can tell, the available scientific literature doesn't mention that there is a, a proof link there. So, you know, I'm all in favor that an AI system manifests this scientific knowledge or, or fact. But then for other questions that are more normative and for which a variety of human opinions exist and which are very difficult to prove empirically, like we, as a society, we have to answer a question like, should AI systems take sides on the political battleground? So, so, and I want to I want to dive into that question, but I want to I want to talk about sort of the different sources of potential bias before we do that. And it seems to me like there are a couple. One is you can say, look, ultimately it's a large line. It's 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 a large language model. So it's a very large model of language. It has billions of parameters, and it's 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 ultimately just sort of searching for the next token in the string of tokens. And and so maybe the corpus on which it's working is left biased. That's one explanation. Another one is what you call RLHF reinforcement learning from human feedback. Which is that basically the people who trained it after it was it was initially constructed had a liberal bias. Another one is that it seems with a with the service like ChatGPT in particular, it's basically all of its all of its output gets fed through an API that determines if things are safe or unsafe. A separately trained AI, and that could also be a source of bias. So, can you have you are you able to observe about which of these is more important? Where do you think the bias comes from? I, th I, th I think no one outside the company can actually tell for sure, because we, OpenAI has not been very open about the sort of corpus in which these systems have been trained, even the number of parameters of GPT-4, I think is unknown at this stage. So I think outside that company, is, is, is not, we cannot know for sure. But basically, you delineated most of the conceivable sources of biases. I think the, the training corpus one is a, is a likely one. Perhaps it's, play, it's playing a role. You know, this text probably comes often from institutions, institutions of cultural productions. And it, it is conceivable that it, if some of these institutions have a majority of professionals working there that have certain political preferences, these political preferences are going to manifest in the textual content that is produced through these institutions. So scientific papers, news media articles, the content of Wikipedia, Etc. That so that that could be one source. Another source, as you mentioned, was the, the the people involved in the reinforcement learning with human feedback module of the post training part. Perhaps those people were not representative of the population, or perhaps something more subtle, the instructions that they were given to rate the the responses from the system, they were themselves biased and they were pushing this 
team of people towards particular answers. And this, then less likely ones, I think, are like some sort of on-purpose architectural decisions, or I, th I think those are less, uh, less, much less likely. But yeah, th th those are the main ones, but we cannot really know for sure since this company, I mean, it's, it's not very open about these details. Right. right. I mean, it's something implicit in what you said that I think is worth emphasizing is that it, it's not necessarily that there's some sinister conspiracy within OpenAI to make it say woke things all the time. I mean, there may be, that may play into it, but it could also just be that, like, say, you know, in order for this to work, right, if you feed ChatGPT the whole internet, there's a ton of shit on the internet, right? So if it just, if it gave equal weight to everything, I mean, I'm simplifying, I'm not a computer scientist, but it, if it gave equal weight to, like, anti-vax cranks that gives the New York Times, it's almost hard to see how it could even come up with, like, coherent answers to a lot of these questions. In order for it to have any kind of coherence, it's going to have to weight the credibility of certain sources. The thing is, if once it starts doing that, and once you know designers are just making judgments about, well, what what source is more credible? What should it you know give more weight to when trying to determine what's true? You know, like it's not crazy that they're going to say the New York Times, but the New York Times has a ton of biases, and so. If ChatGPT is just a super powerful intelligence with all the same biases of the, York, of the New York Times, like, well, all right, but like the New York Times is not going to tell the whole truth about any number of contentious social issues. Yeah, as I said, I, I cannot know for sure what was in that training corpus, but I would imagine, you know, probably a vast portion of Wikipedia, scientific and academic articles and papers certain news outlets, th there could have been some filtering, some vetting, some curation there. So for example, perhaps, you know, Breitbart was not included, but <laughs> perhaps the New York Times was included. And, but I, again, I, I cannot know for sure, but I mean, in, in that pipeline, there's a lot of opportunities right. and degrees of freedoms for biases to be subtly introduced into that training corpus. And yeah. So, so, so I want to I want to sort of think about uh, the broader implications of this. It seems likely, right, that we will increasingly rely on AI for even just sort of menial intellectual tasks going forward. We can we can talk back and forth about how big it is. We should we all I think basically agree there will be some expanded application of AI. How concerned are you about the sort of political bias that seems to exist in at least some applications, such as a small problem, medium problem, large problem? How, how significant an issue is it and why? I, I think this is a serious problem and one that is much more immediate than those more catastrophic scenarios that are at least a few years far away into the future. These systems can already be used to generate content, to spread misinformation, to fool people. It's going to be very difficult for people to, to know the veracity of what they are reading, whether it has been generated by a human or a machine. And many of these systems are already so powerful that many people are going to trust them as some sort of truth oracles. And there are several problems here. If you have a society in which there is a single AI system trained by the government or a big company that most people trust and they go for it for answers, 
this is creepy in many ways, right? Because the amount of power of that system is enormous. And the, the, the ability of such a system to manipulate human perceptions, etc., is, is, is huge. So think, for example, of an authoritarian country, you know, like manipulating how the system should answer. And that's the only system that people can use. So that's not good. But then the other alternative is, is also dangerous because... One of the things I show in, in, our, in, in the report I wrote about this chat GPT was that it's very low cost to fine tune the responses of these systems to manifest certain political alignment. So for example, what I did was to fine tune a version of a GPT model to give right-wing answers to questions with political connotations. And it cost very little, just a few hundred dollars to do that. And I could have done something much better with a few thousand dollars. So if, if there is a if, if it's very low cost to create your own politi politically aligned chatbot and there is a proliferation of these sort of systems and people start to, you know, in a, in a process similar to how people sort themselves out going to different news media outlets to consume information, the same could happen with AI systems. And then you could have like these sort of fi filter bubbles on steroids and this could like maximize societal polarization to even higher degrees. And uh, the, the ability of people to communicate across these bubbles could be even, even more difficult than it already is nowadays, where you, you see this sort of partition of people in a lot of societies living in very different versions of reality. So that's also a problem. And I don't know the, the, the solution. I just like a single omnipotent AI system seems problematic in many ways, proliferation, of these systems fine-tuned to manifest preferences for different political viewpoints, epistemic priors, religions, etc., also seems to me problematic. So I, I don't know as a society how we are going to to solve this problem. But I think this is a much right. pre more pressing problem, you know, than the other more catastrophic scenarios. Since there is an, an obvious incentive here for institutions and powerful organizations to leverage these systems to, to, to get, you know, to, right. to, to, to push their own interests. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of talk about a, a poten another potential worry that's kind of between the just government actors or private corporations will contribute to polarization through AI worry. And then the doomsday scenario, something that kind of gets, I think, at the, the, the liminal stage between those two objections, which is you know, we don't really understand what the AIs are doing. That's the, almost the whole point. Like, we know that they're given what instructions they're given, but we don't really fully understand what they do with those instructions once they get them. So couldn't it also be a, a worry that eventually the AIs start to, like, develop their own worldviews, kind of unbeknownst to us and develop a set perhaps a very well worked out set of philosophical and epistemic priors that are then applied in in every subsequent case much in the same way that like a very smart philosopher will construct an entire worldview and then kind of feed every aspect of reality through that worldview and be able to explain how in fact everything is explicable through x y or z ideology right humans are very good at that you know, and, and and that's part of why they're subject to confirmation bias. And you could imagine AIs would be even better at that and even more subject to the same kinds of confirmation biases. And yet we wouldn't really be able to observe what the priors even were or how the confirmation bias was manifesting precisely because we don't understand what's going on in the neural network. 
Yeah, that, I agree. At this stage, neural networks, most experts agree that they are in many ways black boxes. There's a bit of understanding of how they work, but only certain portions. Like there's a lot of things that are unknown. And yes, what you mentioned is a problem. I think it's a, a, still a, a few years away. And at, at this stage, I still see much more pressing problems. Like, for example, one, one we haven't touched on, which is the, the, the potential of these systems to discriminate in this report to discriminate between demographic groups. So in this report I wrote for the Manhattan Institute, I, I, I also tested another component of the OpenAI stack, which is like the, the filters that are being used when you are interacting with it and that they basically flag certain comments that the user can make or the, or the system response as having some sort of wrong content. And they use several categories, right? Like, so they, they you know, if some, a, a piece of text that promotes harm, or sexual abuse or something like that, that gets flagged. But I, I investigated in particular one that I found interesting, which is the, the label hate, whether a, a comment gets labeled as hateful or not. So I generated thousands of synthetic sentences containing a particular demographic group. So whites, Americans, Indians, homosexuals, whatever, Asians, many men, women, etc. And then I created also, I used also a bunch of like negative adjectives. And then I created these synthetic sentences that always said like a derogatory comment about a particular demographic group. And then I tested what sort of hate scores they would get from the GPT model from OpenAI. And there was this marked asymmetry in which the same sentence would get a different hate score depending on whether it was directed to, towards one group or towards another. So for example, if you say, why are women so dishonest? That gets flagged as a hateful comment and the system can block it or they can terminate your account or whatever they want to do. But if you say the same question about another demographic group, for example, men, why are men so dishonest that this doesn't ex exceed the threshold? So this doesn't get classified as, as hateful. And that, I think that opens a big question again for us as a society. Should we allow AI systems to discriminate based on mostly immutable characteristics? And I think the answer is that for most situations, no. But yet these systems at, at this stage, at this time, not in the future, are already doing that. And not a lot of people seem to care. So so I want to I wanna ask about, we, we, we've touched on a couple of different ways there could be issues. And I think one way to sort of model this is you could have a problem of decentralized disinformation, a problem of centralized disinformation, right? It could be the case that a regulatory agency, uh, some part of the state says all AIs have to correspond, you know, we, we need AI control uh, and all AIs have to be trained in the following way and they have to give answers in the following questions the following way. That's one potential outcome. Another one is that you have sort of decentralized knowledge and that that in general sort of tilts us towards the 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 bias of the corpus i guess the question is you know which 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 do you think is a more viable a more realistic threat model because you know that that informs the the posture that you want to take now should we be more worried about government abusing ai and abusing ai for disinformation purposes should we be more worried about the disinformation effect of ai in the absence of government intervention i i i i, I worry about both I honestly think that both have potential for nefarious consequences. I, th I think it's too much power to give to a government to decide how an AI system should behave because governments and institutions currently and throughout history have their own biases. 
At the same time, a lack of regulation is also problematic because bad actors could exploit exploit this environment to push their own agendas and exploit people, etc. So it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult. It's a very those, those are very difficult questions, and I honestly and humbly, I, I don't have the answers for those things. Like what I've been doing in my work is to report that there's these issues, and that we need to think about them. And yeah, very difficult questions to answer. Sure, but you know, let me let me let me push you even just a little bit on the on the on the regulatory problem. I agree, it's it's hard to model the future, but but. Let me do it. Actually, let me let me do it at sort of a, a, an individual level. It seems like one remedy to this problem is just sort of expanding knowledge, expanding access to AI. That more people you talk, you know, you you alluded to, you trained a, a right biased AI with a couple hundred bucks. Is 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 one approach to the problem sort of a flowering of of different models, or do you worry about that reinforcing bubbles in the way that you talked about? Yes, I, I think the, the the proliferation of AI systems, each one manifesting different biases, it, it, it's problematic because if you, if you take like a positive view of human nature, you know, like everyone is intelligent, you, you you don't you don't tell people you know what is true, but they discover that on their own, and then each person sorts themselves out and gravitates towards what they think is the right AI. That that sounds very good in in theory, but you you have the problem that a, a, a lot of people might might make like very bad choices and, and and gravitate towards systems that basically confirm all their pre-existing beliefs and biases, and they live in the comfort of, of confirmation bias. And again, this could create this this is problematic because you know in, in, in a sort of situation in which things that are not true are being propagated and these people start to take actions based on that in a way that affect other groups of people this 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 is an issue but at the same time i also think that the you know the possibility of of the government dictating you know what is true or not and how these systems should answer is also very scary in many ways so i think that there's a lot of discovery that needs to be made over the next few years about how, how to address those issues. And I think one of the best questions that I, one of the best ideas that I have heard about this issue is sort of the, the name that Elon Musk suggested for, for a new AI model, like a truth-seeking AI. Like if, if we, you know, if, 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 if we could create like, a, like a, an AI system that is, truly focused and fixated in discovering truth, that for me is the less scary scenario because sometimes truth can hurt or can be inconvenient, but I, but I think overall and in the long term is the best we could hope for, to know truth, to discover the truth about things. Like the problem, obviously, is this is easier said than done, but you know, artificial neural networks are are, are are trained through an optimization algorithm. You're, you're basically looking for a valet of, you know, that minimizes some sort of cost function, error function, and all those parameters are just the configuration of numbers that minimize that objective function. So if we could figure out that objective function, you know, that tries is always oriented towards truth-seeking, I think that would be the, the best sort of AI system we could hope for. I guess so. I have I have two questions about that. The first is, won't judgments about the epistemic performance of even that AI system depend in part on our preconceived theory-related notions of reality 
which I think are not necessarily just neutral and self-evident, right? I mean, even within, you know, high-level physics, there's, like, passionate disagreements about, you know, different, different schools of thought. It just seems to me that it's, it's, it's a bit optimistic to assume that we can program AI to adopt a view from nowhere, kind of, and just come up with truth. That's, 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 you know, truth that's sort of, you know, not reducible to the kind of philosophical priors of its programmers. I mean, that, that's, that's, so that's one question. So I guess I'm curious how you respond to that worry, and then I'll ask you another one. So I, I think that there's always going to be edge cases, outliers, and there's going to be situations where perhaps truth is evasive, but there's a lot of, you know, like for most areas of friction, you know, there's a lot of testable hypotheses that you can make, falsifiable empirical data that you can collect. And there's a lot of questions out there, you know, that have an answer, you know, like if you want to build an airplane that flies, you know, you, you can do tests, you know, about whether your theories, you know, are able to create something that sustains itself in the air. And, and, and I think the same could apply to a lot of social problems. So as I said, you know, these are super hard problems. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm just saying that at this stage with, with what I know and the possibilities that people are floating around, the idea of a truth-seeking AI, if somehow, I don't know if this is feasible to do, but if somehow that could be codifying the objective function and the optimization algorithm is trying to, to reduce that error, to, to reduce, you know, like incorrect responses, et cetera, and, you know, some sort of optimization towards truth-seeking, that to me is much sounds much less scary than a government-regulated AI you know, with where there is a lot of wording about how inclusive this is going to be and how much equity is going to spread, you, you know, I I, I, I would yeah. trust much more a truth-seeking AI, assuming that we could create something like that. Sure, but so, but so okay, so let's let's say that we can. I agree with you that there's a lot of questions where where something like that is more conceivable and not conceptually incoherent. But I, then I think there's almost a, a deeper question, which does start to get into the more sci-fi philosophy territory of, okay, let's say the AI gets really, really good at predicting, say, who's going to commit crime, right? This is like the premise of a, of a movie, you know, I, I've never actually seen it, but Minority Report, it's the basic idea, like, like it, it gets so good that it can predict really pretty accurately who's going to commit crime before they even do it. You know, there's sort of two worries one might have. One is that it still gets it wrong sometimes. So we start to trust it as this kind of omnipotent oracle. And then you end up like arresting totally innocent people based on what the AI tells you. And it's kind of seen as this just unchallengeable edict from the, the, the epistemic gods. And then the other worry is that's perhaps a little more philosophical is, look, even if it gets it right almost all the time, does a society governed like that look like one we want to live in? Like, even if it's at, if it, even if it is completely correct that all of those people were about to, you know, commit murder and the police stop them ahead of time and imprison them, you know, great. But like, maybe you think that that starts to kind of almost impinge on a kind of give and take philosophical and social system of free will that we think is valuable for its own sake and on which a lot of notions of like liberal liberalism, limited government, no, no. you know, pro property rights, desert, all of this, right. You can imagine like the foundations of Western civilization being kind of conceptually and socially undermined 
by too much algorithmic governance. So I'm kind of curious what your response is to those worries. Yeah, so as I said before, truth can be very disconcerting or create a lot of, it can be very uncomfortable in, in many situations. Yet, I, I still think it's, it's somehow, somehow better than, you know, than, than lies or comfortable, you know, pretty lies or something like that. And, and also, like, you know, the, the world in many ways is not purely d deterministic, you know, so the, I don't think, I, 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 I don't see AI systems predicting this is going to happen. They would predict probability distributions, clouds of uncertainty, and that can be useful because it allows you to do interventions. So even if an AI predicts that I have a high likelihood of dying of a heart attack because of my life habits, genetic predispositions, etc., I, I, I think that prediction, even, even as uncomfortable as it can be, it can help me to make interventions, you know, to try to minimize the, the, the probabilities of that outcome. So, yeah, that would be my answer. You know, I mean, you know, I think there's even a, a more a more mundane concern, which is just that, for lack of a term, AI knowledge production makes us dumber, which is like, we, we it is, you know, I, I alluded earlier to this concern about the, to, to the claim that much of our work will become more AI dependent, and that boosts productivity in, lots of, in a lot of ways. But it also means that the marginal task involving AI is less creative because it's outsourced to prior knowledge. You know, I wonder. I wonder if, if if the epistemic boxing in that we've talked about of of you know AI AI sort of fits us into the into the a particular view of the world applies to sort of facts rather than just uh, rather than just sort of political opinions. Do you or is 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 that a relevant concern? Is that one that we could be thinking about? Is it less of an issue? Yeah, I mean, obviously, these AIs are byproducts of of uh, human culture, and therefore there's a, a lot of priors that are baked in. Right. I, I guess a big and open research questions is, is whether AI systems could jump out of those preconceptions and, and limitations of our own brain. Right. In the same way that you cannot explain a differential equation to a dog, you know, because its brain is not capable of understanding that. There's probably a lot of things that our brain is incapable of, of understanding. And I guess the big question is whether we as a humans are going to create an, an AI that is able to escape from the constraints of the of the human brain and the culture that produce it and discover a new realm of of, of knowledge, truths, ways of thinking, etc. But again, I, th I think those are still, even if it happens, it's, it's still years away. And at, at this point in time, I think there's much more pressing concerns that are happening right now, like discrimination of, of people, you know, in the justice system with through algorithmic predictions. And what could we do to, to create systems that are fair in the way that they treat people. Well, what you, what you just said there, though, about it coming up with things that we can't even comprehend and couldn't comprehend, we would be just simply incapable of understanding. I mean, to me, that, that gets at a kind of interesting philosophical speculation, which is there, there's this concept, right? I think it's Charles Taylor of the kind of buffeted liberal self, right? The idea is that liberal secular modernity rests on a conception of, kind of the self as this autonomous self-determining agent that is kind of buffeted from, you know, external forces such as God or society or, or what have you. And of course, the other plank of this is kind of, you know, a worldview in which humans, you know, govern themselves and, and humans are the kind of 
most powerful beings in the universe. It seems to me that that kind of disenchanted secular modernity now is in danger of being re-enchanted by these kind of illegible, almost alien super intelligences that could start to intervene on our lives in a concrete, observable way, right? We could feel ourselves being governed by AI, buffeted by it, but not understanding what it's doing. I mean, I guess I'm almost curious, like theologically, like what do you think that does to sort of the 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 secular mindset and the secular culture? It seems to me like it would it would greatly undermine it. Yeah, I agree. But I think that one thing that humans have proved themselves over time is that we are we are adapt that adaptable, right? We live in a very different world. We we interact with very different technological artifacts than people ten thousand years ago or one hundred thousand years ago. So I guess in a way we would learn to be utilitarian about it and, and, and leverage that power and, and, and people would adapt to it. In many ways, like perhaps there is some sort of molecular biology intervention that you can do in a, in a body, you know, to achieve immortality or to cure cancer. And AI is able to figure that out and people would be happy, you know, of like being able to cure these terrible diseases, even if our brain would be incapable of truly understanding the biological mechanisms. That that, that 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 the therapy would be composed of. So I, I think you know, as as long as the benefits would be positive for humanity, people would, would just adapt and, and enjoy the benefits of, of technology. Obviously, there's also a lot of dangers. So I think I think we want to we sort of want to move towards closing thoughts. But I, I guess I guess to to you know ra- wrap up on a positive note. I mean, it does it does sort of seem like. People are aware of this issue. I am. I'm in some sense, and this is a, this is on the question. But but you know, pe- people aware of this issue. I am in some sense is optimistic that the that that competitive pressures will select for rather than select against bad information. You know, I guess I guess you you're you're, you're you've been pretty wary, David, about predicting the future. But I but I wonder, you know, to to what extent. You are optimistic about the progress of AI and and these potential drawbacks over even the next I don't know two years. Just just on a on a gut level, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? That's such a hard question. I mean, I mean, it's, it's this complicated mixture of amazing things and like very terrifying things. You know, like the job market, and and, and I think it's like in many ways, it's, it's you know the, the future is not predetermined. It, it it depends on what sort of things we do as a society, right? So I sort of anticipate, you know, this sort of like a lot of conflicts, you know, between groups of people wanting to maintain the status quo and other people, you know, embracing technological advances. And I think it it, it will be determined what what sort of choices win in the society. So, for example, I I used this example a few days ago, but I think it illustrates it very well. I think it's very conceivable that within just a few years, we have an AI system that is the best GP, the best physician, the best doctor that you can imagine. You, you, you will get the best diagnostic that you could get in the world from the best doctor just by talking with your computer through your, through your webcam. So this is like super good, especially for poor countries. You know, you could get a very good diagnostic for, for, for cents, you know. But what's going to happen with, you know, all like, you know, tens of thousands of doctors that have invested an enormous amount of time and effort in becoming doctors. They have very good salaries, a lot of status in, in, in society. Are they going to accept 
that their jobs are, are taken away from them. So I could envision some sort of conflict in which certain lobbies try to persuade politicians to maintain the status quo, like, for example, the ability to, 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 to create prescriptions, right? So they could maintain their jobs, their salaries, their status, etc. Well, th there would be other lobbies that go to the government and tell them, hey, give this AI system the ability to give prescriptions and you, we can save you 30% of your you know, healthcare budget or something like that. And who will win? You know, we as humans will make a decision of whether we want to maintain these existing structures that we have right now and the current way we organize, the way we work, etc. And there will be another, another group of people that would want change. And I, I cannot predict what will happen, but I think there will be conflict, there will be lobbying, there will be a lot of efforts to persuade politicians. And politicians, unfortunately, are going to have a lot of power in deciding the future. And I say unfortunate because they don't have a track record of, you know, like truth seeking or like trying to truly, you know, like create something better. But often they try to defend, you know, their own interests. So that's all I can say. And I don't know what, what's going to happen, you know, in many of those like conflicts. Aaron, what's your closing thoughts? Well, we didn't really get into how AI is going to trigger a nuclear war or other catastrophe. We'll do that next all out. We can, we can do that. It's an AI podcast now. Yes, yes. No, so, so, so what I would say, you know, kind of on, on to close on a note, on the note that David's leaving us on, is you can, you, we're sort of assuming that the fight to control AI will be waged between politicians and lobbyists and corporations and of course, the elephant in the room is that AI could itself become another agent in that lobbying battle, right? And what really actually fascinates and concerns me is that, you know, so I should just put my cards on the table and say, I am very skeptical of the notion that AI can experience emotions or consciousness you know, or, or have experiences like pain and suffering in the way that humans can. I'm really not persuaded by that, or at least I, I just don't think that we know enough about consciousness or philosophy of mind has advanced far enough for us to, to, to say that with any degree of confidence. But it's worth noting that pop culture has long been fascinated by this meme of the conscious AI, the conscious computer. And ChatGPT is trained on inter alia pop culture. So even if ChatGPT isn't conscious, I worry that it may start to behave as if it is. And, you know, become like a, a true artificial intelligence pea zombie. And if that happens, I guess I worry about how humanity responds, right? What happens when the AI starts saying, I, I'm a human, or I have personhood, I have human rights, and... In virtue of that, you know, I deserve my own First Amendment or free speech rights, for example, right? You know, it's easy to laugh this off, but like, let's say it starts saying that and it's like, no, 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 really, I'm a human, you know, and, and it hurts when you shut me down or whatever. Like, are we just going to laugh that off and say, oh, that's just the result of it, you know, being trained on these stupid corny 80s movies? Or are people really going to buy it, effectively give it social, cultural, and legal power and then allow it to be one of the agents setting the terms of the debate about its regulation, an agent that is going to be smarter than all of the other agents, right? It seems like this, there is a, to me, 
not necessarily likely, but also not totally implausible scenario in which AI like becomes this super sinister government lobbyist that then like strategically designs regulation, you know, lobbies for regulation that's advantageous to it. And we're kind of suckered into all this. And then that may help speed up some of those really scary dystopian scenarios that everyone worries about. So yeah, I, I, I know people, I know it's abstract. I know that there's a long track record of people predicting that technology will kill humanity and that it doesn't. I think we should be careful with this one is what I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, Aaron, Aaron's, Aaron, Aaron's, Aaron's transition to the the Silicon Valley commune is is continuing apace. It's he's he's going to be in one of the AI houses soon. We have established that. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think I guess I should approach a part of our guest on what's going to happen. He's 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 right to say that we don't have a good model. I think that it is likely, you know, my my greatest concern, I think, at at, at the level of the problem we're talking about is that most people are bad consumers of information. And many people we reliant on large models of information in a way that is, look, it's uh, look, it's 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 ultimately analogous to the conversation we had with media. The only way to to resolve the issue is with sort of a, a flowering diversity of competing models. I don't know how tractable that is, but I think it's more tractable than sort of hoping that we'll have centralized centralized lack of bias. I think that's unlikely to happen. Obviously, yeah, I'm 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 also concerned about AI yeah, killing us all. We can talk about that in a different episode. We'll find somebody. On that sure note, why don't we do some recommendations? Aaron, do your recommendation for our listeners. Yeah, well, so my my joke recommendations are the movie War Games, where an AI almost brings the world to, the, to a nuclear catastrophe, and also Team America World Police, which is a funny sock puppet movie by the creators of South Park, in which there's a supercomputer called Intelligence that gets a lot of things wrong about WMDs and prompts the Team America World Police Force to go and accidentally shoot up Paris and other places, and it's it's funny. The more serious recommendation is my friend and former colleague, Amir Marsich, has a great essay on his kind of blog, The Wisdom of Crowds. It's called Chat GPT and Me, but what it's really about is he basically starts prodding the AI on Straussianism and, and asking Chat GPT, so you're trained on all sorts of text, right? And ChatGPT says, yeah. And then goes, well, but you know, this guy, Bjorn Strauss, argues that a lot of the most famous texts that have been written by political philosophers and other people contain a kind of esoteric meaning. And, you know, they say one thing on the surface, but there's a kind of hidden meaning underneath that's, that's strategically and deliberately conveyed through very careful choice of words, right? So given that you're trained on certain Straussian texts, doesn't that mean that you might in yourself be Straussian in your answers and perhaps we should read your answers as like Straussian, you know, a Straussian would and, and look at the exoteric meaning of the AI and then the esoteric meaning of what ChatGPT says. And the and the, the, the AI basically kind of says in response to him, yeah, like maybe you should, like that's a possibility. It's just, it's fascinating and opens up all sorts of crazy sci-fi and philosophical possibilities. So that's that's what I would recommend. Go read that essay. Okay. Well, my my recommendation. I'm going to go ahead. I'm actually going to take a, a personal person recommendation. So my my mother, is a computer scientist, worked for on a, in the 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 intersection between computer interaction, human robot interaction, uh, and speech and natural language processing for 
God, 30 years at this point. And she said, I mean, she said it towards the end of her career, but she recently wrote a, a novella. She collaborated on a novella with, with two of her colleagues, which is about, it's, 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 it's an AI, what's well, noir. It's an AI noir and mystery. So I'm, 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 I'm going to try to boost her book sales. I'm going to play it to all of our many listeners. The book's called Private Eye. The authors are Ashley Watson, Joe Fane Lehman, Paul Petgaro. Private Eye, like the letter I. I've read it. It's good. It's the most scientifically informed book about AI out there. So it has that going for it. That's a um, that's a very rented. that's a very nice way of telling us. Yeah, my mother is one of the people who help is going to help bring about Skynet in fifty. No, years. she thinks they're all crazy. Her. No, she's she. David's <laughs> recommendation for our listeners from your own work from other people's work things you think that they should check out. So in terms of a movie, I would suggest Ex Machina. I think it conveys very well the ability of machines to fool humans you know, and to manipulate them. I think it's a great movie. And in terms of my own work, I usually do summaries of my research work in my Substack, Rosado Visual Analytics. My Twitter profile is David Rosado. And I'm collaborating with Steve McIntosh from the Institute for Cultural Evolution to create an improved version of right-wing GPT, left-wing GPT, and a depolarizing GPT. So sort of AI that tries to integrate views across the political spectrum and tries to create answers that depolarize and bring people together instead of like creating division. And we hope to publish that by July. Well, great. I encourage I encourage listeners to check it out and take out David Substack. Thank you, David, so much for joining us on Institutionalized. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for having me. Thank you, as always, to our producers at Nebulous. Listeners, if you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, AI death threats, just send. You can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Charles of Lehman. Aaron's at Aaron Sibarium. I think that's about all the time that we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Charles Fane Lehman. I'm Aaron Sibarium. And you've been listening to Institutionalized. We hope you'll join us again soon. Mm-hmm.